listening to the Save the Marriage podcast. Your marriage can be saved and strengthened if you have the right information. Join Dr. Lee Bauckham as he explores ways for you to improve your relationship and your life, starting right now. In this episode of the Save the Marriage podcast, I continue answering the listener's questions. Today, the the listener is Colleen. Colleen asks a question. She says, I recently read about a codependent spouse being a problem. Can you talk about how to deal with this type of spouse? Is there a way to help the spouse that feels they are just being devoted, understand that being devoted is different than codependency, and a way to help the other spouse have some friends or time apart without hurting the codependent's feelings? Thanks. Okay, so first of all, I just want to kind of remind you that we are answering questions. I am answering questions. I'm looking for the Goldilocks questions, and this is one of those examples. A Goldilocks question is one that's just kind of in the middle. It's not one that's so broad that I'm going to refer you to my other material or so narrow that you might actually want some coaching on that specific things because it only applies to your situation. Sometimes I get questions that are so specific that really it's only going to apply to the one writer and maybe a few other people. And we have thousands of people who listen every week to the podcast So I want to make sure that I address things that hit everybody's needs. And sometimes it's just so broad that, you know, it's kind of like, how do I save my marriage? Well, I wrote a system on that. The Save the Marriage, I created a system, Save the Marriage system at savethemarriage.com. That's that system. Also, I wrote a book on that, How to Save Your Marriage in Three Simple Steps. You can find that at savethemarriage.com slash book. That's savethemarriage.com slash book. So I wanted to pick out some ones that were kind of in the middle. and, And Colleen asked this one. So Uh, First of all, let's do a little background dig. This is about codependency and what does that mean in the spousal relationship? So let's talk about how that term might be a problematic term right off the bat. Codependent has been uh, a common usage for a long time that has almost meant that it's lost its meaning and it certainly is difficult to discern when an author is talking about, or speaker for that matter, or anyone else uh, is talking about codependent, exactly what that means. So let's just go back a little bit. Originally, codependency was a term used in addictions treatment. You had the person who was dependent on a substance, whatever it was, or a behavior. So you could have someone who was addicted to alcohol, an alcoholic, or somebody who was addicted to prescription medicines or heroin or lots of other things that would lead to their primary addiction. Or it could be behaviors like gambling, or uh, they might be uh, addicted to um, maybe affairs or something like that. So their sex addiction, their gambling addiction, their substance addiction, their process addiction, whatever it is, they would have somebody in their life that would be codependent on that substance. Not that they were using the substance or doing that behavior, but they were codependent on the role that that substance or behavior has in moving through life for the dependent person. For instance, let's say that somebody has a spouse who is really in a bad mood until they have a couple of drinks, and so the spouse might encourage the drinking. Or maybe somebody is um, maybe even hopeful for the distraction for some other uh, substance or some other process. And so that spouse or that other person in their life kind of unconsciously pushes them towards the addiction. 
For instance, lots of times we see that when people are dealing with a substance or a process that somebody begins to work on their recovery only to have it sabotaged by the spouse who is codependent on that behavior. Many times we see that uh, when somebody either gains a role in being the spouse of that person or somehow that um, behavior placates the person who has the primary addiction. Notice how that means that there are two people who are addicted to that process or that substance. There is the addict, the dependent person, and then there is the codependent person. So that's why we have this term. And so it comes out of addiction treatment, so much so that it has kind of enveloped our culture into the belief that anybody who maybe has some way of responding to somebody else's behavior because of that behavior, that they are codependent. That's the problem. It's become so broad that what it means really is, uh, in some ways, it's about a dependency on the other person. So there are some reasons why we might look at this. For instance, in marriage, I think that there is the idea of interdependence. And interdependence means that my life is woven into the life of my spouse. And so a lot of times our behaviors are going to fit together and mesh together in some ways. And if my spouse disrupts our normal behavior, then I'm going to try to pull it back to where we normally are. That's because I'm, we're interdependent, where our lives become interwoven. So we have this problem in our culture of going in one of two different directions, either a dependence or independence. Either I am so a part of somebody's life that I am attached to them, or I'm so not a part of their life that we are completely detached. Our culture struggles with that midpoint of interdependence where we rely on each other. And yet that's the nature of being in a relationship. There are roles in our family life that my wife automatically does some things and I do other things, and we are interdependent on each other to do that. And that's been true our entire marriage. And and it can vary over time. You know, when you come to parenting, how you parent and how you take care of the kids can vary. And, And the question is whether there is flexibility in how that happens. So for instance... If somebody says, you know what, I'm feeling overwhelmed with all of the load of life that I'm taking on, is there some way we can share? If the other person says, oh no, you signed up for this for life, that's a problem. The other side of that is sometimes in relationships, we try to figure out how to balance our care and wanting to be with somebody with our connections with the outside world. And so in this case, this person is asking about the difference between devotion and codependency. Now, obviously, I've never met this person who is writing in. So, Colleen, I'm, I'm wanting to answer this from a, kind of a higher perspective, right, where I'm, I'm having to guess some things. A way to help the other spouse have some friends or time apart without hurting the codependent feelings. Let's change that a little bit. I, I would like for you to risk not using the term codependent mainly because it has lost such meaning in our culture that it really um, ends up being a label. If we don't like uh, our spouse wanting to spend time with us, we don't like how much we're relied upon for emotional energy, that can lead to using that term when it's not necessarily descriptive. It's certainly not descriptive from the original term. 
So let's also broaden out another piece that sometimes people lack community and are more reliant on the spouse than the spouse wants them to be. That doesn't necessarily mean it's codependent. Now, I want to just be clear, not necessarily mean it's codependent. Is it possible for somebody to have codependency? Yes, especially if we use that broader term. Is it possible even with a stricter term? Absolutely. Addictions treatment still focuses on the role of family members in either supporting or sabotaging efforts uh, to stay sober. Now, Colleen, here I'm going to step into a a little area um, and assume that you're talking, when you talk about spouse, you might be talking about husband. And one of the things that uh, men often don't do in our culture very well is create their own support system outside of spouses. And so instead of it necessarily being codependent, sometimes it's a spouse's inability to take that on for themselves. We, we just live in a culture where a lot of times men uh, don't do well in establishing those outside relationships. And in our culture, many times women don't either. And so a shortcut to that for a couple is to overly rely upon each other for their social structure. What that means is that both people end up not having the social structures outside of themselves to, to get more into the marriage. What that also means is that if one kind of changes their stance, maybe one person wants to do more kind of apart, maybe they have a separate interest, it can be a threat to the relationship. So there are a couple of pieces I just want to highlight here. One is that one of the things you're talking about really is anxiety more than hurt feelings. Uh, hurt feelings may be there because you're saying, hey, I, I don't want to spend all of my life with you. Every moment, every waking moment of my life with you, I, that's not what I want. So there might be some hurt feelings, but notice that what you're really talking about is the anxiety provoked in that of saying, oh my gosh, I'm going to lose what I need for my support structure. So there's an anxiety piece that's here. The second thing is a theory I want you to think about of learned helplessness. This is uh, an idea that Martin Seligman talks about, that people can learn to be helpless, that people can learn to have the incapacity of helping themselves uh, because of how uh, maybe life has been before. Uh, Maybe, for instance, somebody is used to somebody else taking care of all the details, and so they don't have to. They've learned to be helpless in those details until suddenly they have to pay attention to them. Sometimes that happens uh, when a spouse is taking uh, too much responsibility uh, for the life of that person, right? They're, they're doing too much to help that person move through life. And so when there is a change, it is a threat to the person who has learned their helplessness because they don't know what to do. They don't know how to fill in that, that whole uh, piece. They, they don't know how to even fulfill those pieces, So part of what you're talking about doing is raising the risk tolerance for that person. How do you do that? Well, let's say that you're clear that your spouse is so dependent upon you that they don't even feel like they can be okay by themselves. I'm just going to assume that that's kind of what you're describing and they don't have any other outside friends. So so one of the things we can't do for a spouse is pick their friends for them, add in friends for them. What we can do is suggest that we do things more with other couples where they might meet somebody that uh, they can hit it off with, Um, or we can raise that risk tolerance. And I said risk tolerance, it doesn't necessarily mean there's a risk there, but it can feel like a risk 
if somebody is used to being with the other person, you know, 24 seven, and then you're suggesting maybe, you know, less time that can feel like a risk. So for instance, let's say that's your case. And so you decide to go for a short shopping trip by yourself and short meaning you're gone for, you know, 20, 30 minutes and you just say, Hey, I'm going to go to the store. Just, you know, hang out here. I'll be back. And you go. And for that 20 to 30 minutes, the other person is okay, right? They're okay. They find a way through that. And then perhaps you say, Hey, I'm going to eat lunch out with friends. I'm going to go uh, to this thing. It would not be fun for you. It's just a girl's uh, lunch out. And so you might help them understand that it's okay to, you know, have lunch on your own. And then you might take an afternoon away. So you're broadening the span of time apart, never saying, hey, I don't want you to around, right? That's not the message. I don't want you around. It's there are other places of life to be. So you're beginning to broaden out that tolerance for the person to understand that and to be okay, to find that they're okay. The danger for some people is to become reactive and to say, you know, I'm going to pull away. And they pull away so fast that they they actually double up the fear, right? They increase the fear uh, exponentially. And so that can lead to uh, some extra anxiety that doesn't need to be there. Notice how part of what we often have in our culture is this definition of love that it's all-encompassing instead of life-enlarging. And I just kind of want to notice those two differences. A a belief that life is all-encompassing, that love is all-encompassing, meaning all of your life and all of my life, we need to spend it together. Every waking moment, every even sleeping moment, every moment that we're not at work or, or whatever, we're bound together. That can be a threat to the relationship rather than that love really is life enlarging, that you don't have to spend every moment together to have quality time together and to bring things in. In fact, the research shows that the healthiest couples have things where they have connection together, time together, and they also have outside interests. If we create an insulated relationship where it is only the couple and all of their energy is within that, over time, it's kind of like a a battery. It's running down the battery, and there's no place for it to recharge. But if we have outside interest, we can then bring our own passions, our own energy back into the relationship, maybe telling a spouse about that, what's happening out there, or sharing your enthusiasm. The person doesn't have to do it with you. And one of the myths of our culture is that couples have to have all of these hobbies in common. I think it's great for couples to have things to do together. They don't just have to be a super glue couple where they do everything together. And so part of your task is to begin to broaden out you know, how long it can be tolerated that you have a separate space, how long it can be tolerated, and you enlarge that. You do the same thing with kids, right? The kids who are afraid to be in their beds by themselves. So maybe they can't go for eight hours straight, but can they go for an hour and then two hours and then three hours and then four hours and then five hours and then six hours and then they're sleeping on their own? It's the same kind of thing. Many times we raise the anxiety by trying to force uh, that all at once they suddenly have to be alone. We can raise that tolerance and have the person recognize their own strengths, their own capacity of taking care of themselves and taking care of their emotions, because that is another piece of this puzzle. Sometimes people need somebody else or feel like they need somebody else to take care of their emotional life. 
And part of the task is to let them deal with some of their emotional life by being a support, not being a fixer. In many relationships, people end up trying to fix the spouse's emotions, which is beyond your capacity. And it wears you out over time to do that. So my suggestion is that you begin to slowly build that out and slowly find some other kind of bridges to a broader world. And the big thing is to be clear that codependency as a label can be a very dangerous thing. We use it in such a general way that it loses its power. Suddenly, everybody has that label and any behavior where you're with somebody or want to be with somebody or you know, really kind of have a, a, a need for somebody to be a part of your life, which is, by the way, that interdependence part ends up getting labeled unfairly. So my suggestion is to be careful with the, the, the term, be careful with the label. And try to work on building out some community. Be aware of the, the dangers that especially men have sometimes in not having that community and the need to establish that for themselves. You can be a, a fan of that. You know, you can cheer them on when they take those steps. And that's a good way of giving up. You know, when you give positive feedback for what somebody's doing in a positive direction, that's a great thing. Uh, when you're criticizing what they're not doing, that tends to not uh, progress so well. So Colleen, hopefully that's helpful. Uh, one of the things I try to do in my Save the Marriage system is help people understand what really is a healthy relationship, what really is a healthy marriage, so you know what to head for. If that would be helpful, you can find that by going to savethemarriage.com. That's savethemarriage.com. And for anybody who is trying to save their marriage, maybe you've discovered that your relationship is not where it needs to be, please check out the system at savethemarriage.com, savethemarriage.com. This is Lee Balkum wishing you the best as you work to save your marriage. You've been listening to Save the Marriage Podcast. For more information and help, please visit us at savethemarriage.com.